You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey, welcome to Open Forum Wednesday. Grant Napier here on Listen Up. We can go in any direction that you want. We got NBA basketball tomorrow with the Kings and the Blazers. Ryan and I will be on at halftime and post game Friday as well when the Kings take on the LA Clippers. So uh, we got a lot going on. Uh, I really enjoyed yesterday's show uh, talking about broadcasting. And I had a couple of people uh, reach out to me via social media after the show. And, you know, the other aspect that I didn't really get into, and I was trying to tell this with uh, Connor. You know, not only to be yourself, you have to fit in your own personality. Then you have to develop a style that fits in with your personality. And if you're fortunate enough to come up with a catchphrase like something as simple as, you know, Marv Albert and his yes, or Mike Breen and his bang, or Al McCoy and his Shazam, or obviously me, if you don't like that, you don't like NBA basketball, which I never in a million years thought that it would be used the way it was. I mean, you know, the NBA used to put it on their promos. ESPN used to use it quite often. And it's uh, something that you can't manufacture. It just happens. And when it does and it catches on, you're associated with that. So that's also important if you're able to develop that. And generally speaking, if you think about it and you try to plan it, it's not going to work. Normally, the best catchphrases occur spontaneously without you even realizing that you did it. You know, that's about the best I can say. I didn't really rehearse or think about put it in a book and send them to the line. It just came out. You know, turn the splinter systems on. That just came out. You know, I remember doing the game with the Warriors and the Kings, and I had already used turn the sprinkler systems on, uh, so-and-so was on fire, and then Omri Caspi had the hottest streak of his career. And I, I couldn't use, you know, turn their sprinkler systems on again because I had just used it. So I talked about, you know, Omri Caspi, he has got smoke coming off his fingertips. You know, again, that was 100% spontaneous on the fly. And it caught the essence, you know, of the moment and what was going on in that game. So you don't really, you know, and I'll just tell you, and I would think Mike Breen would tell you this and other announcers would tell you this, their catchphrases just kind of happened. 
All right. It just kind of happened. And at the time, you don't even realize that's going to be your catchphrase until you get feedback from your audience that they either liked it or didn't like it. And then you go from there. So, you know, I was very fortunate. I, I, I was very fortunate that my catchphrase, you all hear, I'm still using it today in 2023. And, you know, a lot of people associate that with me. And, you know, if you Google me, uh, there's video all over the place of me on calls saying, if you don't like that, right? So, you know, again, you develop your own style, fit it within your personality. And if you can come up with a catchphrase when you're doing play by play, that's what you'll be known for. So I hope that helps a little bit to continue on the conversation uh, from yesterday. All right. If you want to get in on the program today, hit your hand icon, raise your hand, uh, and we will do it. I need a leadoff man. And we do have our leadoff guy. And uh, Jeff will be leading off. Hello, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing great, Grant. How are you? I'm well. Thank you. Hey, my uh, the favorite phrase from my childhood growing up was Russ Hodges. Bye-bye, baby, for the home run. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah. And that stuck with the Giants for, for a long time, you know, and I'll never forget that's that's what he would say, you know. Yeah. And in, anyways, uh, tell us uh, about today's anniversary with the U.S. hockey team in Russia. Was it 43 years? Yeah. Tell, tell us some of your memories about that since it's, well, I was uh, I, I I have two of my college buddies were on the team, Kenny Morrow and Mark Wells. They went to Bowling Green, and um, knew both of them because I was announcing Bowling Green hockey. And for me, uh, it was such a thrill to be watching that team with two of my uh, college, you know, acquaintances. I wouldn't call them like buddies where we were hanging out, but you know, I I knew them. They knew me. As a matter of fact. I used to see Mark Wells, you know, all the time because his girlfriend and my girlfriend lived on the same floor in the same dorm. So I would see him, you know, periodically. I would see him, obviously, you know, when we were on the road and I was announcing Bowling Green Hockey. Uh, Kenny Morrow was only in college for two of my years. Kenny, uh, his last two years were my first two years. So I didn't know Kenny as well, but I know Kenny. As a matter of fact, I had Kenny on the radio show in Sacramento uh, during the pandemic. But I remember when they played uh, the Russians on Friday night, uh, we had a huge fraternity party with uh, a couple of sororities at this big venue. And it was incredible. We had a portable TV that was put in. I'm going to let you, I'm going to put you back in the audience because you got some bad feedback there. But we already knew the outcome of the game. The game, the game against the Russians, that game was on tape delay. That game was shown in primetime TV, and yet that game was played during the day. And I remember all of us watching the game, standing up in the corner of this big hall, watching the game. And then, obviously, the gold medal game, and Herb Brooks talking to his team between the second and third period that if you don't win this game, you will take it to your freaking grave. And Michael Ruzioni, who I've gotten to know, you know, had the crucial goal against the, the Russians. And But for me, 
to be able to know two players. And I always talk about this story, Jeff. After the gold medal, the players on Miracle on Ice were national heroes. It was like Neil Armstrong had just walked on the moon. Seriously. They had a ticker tape parade down Broadway in New York City. They were national heroes. And I remember doing a Bowling Green game after the Olympics in March. And Mark Wells was at Bowling Green. And I remember interviewing him between one of the periods of the hockey game. And Mark Wells was walking up to the press box, flanked by two sheriff's deputies as a police escort. Because he was a national freaking hero. And Kenny Morrow had one of the great runs in the history of sport. Kenny Morrow went from winning the gold medal with the 1980 U.S. hockey team and went right to the New York Islanders. And the Islanders won the Stanley Cup that year. And that was their first of four consecutive Stanley Cups. And Kenny Morrow was a big part of that. So Kenny Morrow went from the miracle on ice, didn't even get to go to the ticker tape parade and all of that other stuff, and went right to the New York Islanders and went on and won four Stanley Cups. So for me, the Miracle on Ice had some special meaning. My brother also went to Lake Placid for that weekend, but obviously could not get into the venue. But my brother tells me that being at Lake Placid on that Friday night and Sunday after the game to clinch the gold medal, being in that party scene was unbelievable. But that's what I remember about the Miracle on Ice. I remember, and I got to know Craig Patrick pretty well. Craig was the assistant coach for Herb Brooks. Craig was the general manager of the New York Rangers. And uh, my best friend, George McPhee, uh, played on the Rangers after the 1980 uh, Miracle on Ice when Craig Patrick was the general manager. And I uh, remember being around Craig. And I actually, Craig, Craig actually went to Bowling Green, oh, I want to say 1982 to scout as the general manager of the Rangers. And I had known Craig. I had met Craig through George. It's amazing how things stand out. It was right after Christmas. And I had just watched the, and Herb Brooks was coaching the Rangers. And he went from Miracle on Ice and coached the Rangers. And I'll never forget this. I had watched the Rangers play the Washington Capitals on my Christmas break, all right? And Herb Brooks had brought in a European style of passing. And the Rangers went into Washington, and it was the best passing that I've ever seen from a New York Rangers team. And I remember interviewing Herb, or uh, Craig Patrick, you know, and again, Craig thinks I'm just some college kid, you know, at Bowling Green. And I remember going, you know, Craig, uh, Herb Brooks, you know, in his first year as Rangers coach, and I know it's, you know, taken a while, but I got to tell you, Craig, that passing the other night against the Capitals was the best I've ever seen the New York Rangers play. And he looked at me and he was like, Grant, you know, I really would have to tell you that I agree with your assessment. And it's pretty amazing that you just said that, you know, and I was like, Okay, now hire me. Let me be your announcer for the New York Rangers. You know, no, but I'll never forget that. So I always talk about, you know, certain times when you're interviewing someone, you can really make an impression 
with knowledge. And I, that was very lucky. It was very lucky that I just happened to be watching that game on WOR Channel 9. Uh, with the I wasn't even in New York, by the way. I was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, watching that game. All right, I watched that Rangers-Capitals game on WOR Channel 9 from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Just amazing the things I remember. But 1980, Jeff, Miracle on Ice, knowing two players on that team that I went to college with, both Kenny Morrow and Mark Wells, was uh, fascinating. And it was great to – And I, oh, here's another thing. I actually – Went and I'm this. It's amazing the things you remember. So, the following year, all right, the following year, so 1981, I'm a senior at Bowling Green and I go home for Christmas break and I call up the New York Islanders and get a press pass so I can interview Kenny Morrow. So, I go to an Islanders practice, all right. And I walk into the Islanders locker room after the practice and I got my little portable tape recorder and I see Kenny goes, Hey, how you doing? I go, good. How are you? And I go, Hey, I'm, um, I'm just here for Christmas holiday. I want to know if I can get a couple of minutes with you. He goes, yeah, whatever you need, sit down. And I'm sitting down and I'm interviewing Kenny Morrow and two lockers away is Mike Bossy's locker. Mike Bossy and Wayne Gretzky were the two best goal scorers in that era. Mike Bossy, was a 50-goal score every year, which is – that's the benchmark of greatness. It's the equivalent of a 20-game winner in Major League Baseball for a pitcher. So if you score 50 goals in a season, that puts you in very select company. Mike Bossy was great, number 22 for the New York Islanders. And I'm interviewing Kenny Morrow in the locker room, and Mike Bossy is smoking a cigarette. All right? And I'm interviewing Kenny – and the interview with Kenny lasted, I don't know, 10, 12, 14 minutes maybe. And Mike Bossy had two or three cigarettes. And I'll never forget this. I get done interviewing Kenny. And I'm like, how the hell does he do that? And Kenny goes, what are you talking about? And Mike, Mike had gotten up and since left. And I go, how, do, how does that guy skate the way he does and smoke the way he does? And Kenny started laughing. He goes, yeah, it's pretty unbelievable, isn't it? He goes, he's... He goes, in between the games, in between periods, he's always smoking in our locker room. I'm like, that is freaking unbelievable. In between games, he goes, oh, yeah. And I just – so, again, the things you remember uh, – and then they have Kenny on the show in Sacramento back in March or April of uh, 2020. I reached out to him. Uh, I got his number from George McPhee, and I texted Kenny and – I said, hey, I would really mean a lot if you would come on the show with me. Uh, and he did. And it was great. It was great catching up with him. So, yeah, that, that, I'm glad you brought that up, Jeff, because that was one of the great, I still think to this day, all right, and, and we can talk about that. I believe that's the greatest moment or the greatest accomplishment in the history of sports in the United States. I don't think there's anything that's ever, and I mean ever, happened in the United States from a sports perspective that you can top the 1980 Miracle on Ice. They were a bunch of college kids like Mark Wells, like Kenny Morrow, all college kids, no pros, all of them college kids beating the powerful, powerful, powerful Russian hockey team. And not only that, the other teams from Europe, they were also professional teams. 
and the United States, who, by the way, had gotten destroyed in the exhibition games by that same team, ended up winning. And it just goes to show you, one game, one night, it's what makes the NCAA men's basketball tournament so great. Anything can happen in one game. If the United States had played the Russians in a best of seven, they would have lost four games to one. But that one night, Jim Craig and goalie, Michael Ruzioni with this quick snapshot, and that team, phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Let's get to Waggus right here on Listen Up. Hey, Waggus. Brian, how you doing? I'm good, buddy. How are you? Good, good. So it's open form. Um, I yep. wanted to ask you. So I think the XFL, while it's probably never going to be at the level of NFL, it, it's actually pretty good as far as how it, it's been rebased development league right so I, I wanted to get your take on that on this open floor. i haven't watched it uh i'm not a fan of any other football league because they come and go uh you know just like the usfl back when herschel walker was playing for the new jersey generals and doug flutie and everyone thought that would be the new thing and then before you know it is gone then you have the xfl come in they're gone the world league comes in they're gone this league comes in and they're gone. I don't really, until the league finds traction, Waggus, of five years or so, I'm not going to invest my time in it. I haven't watched one second of it. I'm not planning on watching any of it. I have zero interest. Okay. So moving on to my next one. Um, so, you know, obviously I don't want this to happen, but I do think that it is going to happen. I just think that a lot of other teams in the West have gotten better and the Kings have not. So, I mean, if you, if you take a look at the Lakers, even the Clippers, whether you agree or not, um, and then, of course, Phoenix. So I actually have Phoenix, Denver, Clippers, and Memphis in my top four. Then I got the Mavericks, and then I got the Lakers, and then I start thinking about the Kings. I don't think the Lakers have, it. I don't think the Lakers have enough time to move, move up to six. I, okay. I don't see that happening. I think it would be highly unlikely for the Lakers to finish sixth. I, highly unlikely. They'd have to win 80% of their games. Yeah, and, and the only reason why I don't have the Warriors is because I don't know what's going to happen with um, Steph Curry. But Curry, right. The, I mean, how would you rank them right now? Okay, I would rank Denver, number one, Memphis, number two, Phoenix, three, the Clippers, four. All right? I think those are your top four teams in the West. I think Sacramento can be fifth based on the other team's injuries and schedule. Uh, Dallas has lost three games now with Luka and Kyrie playing together. So why would I think that that's automatically going to turn around and they're going to go on a tear? So I'm, I, I still need to see it before I believe it with Dallas. I believe the Lakers are too far behind uh, to catch the Kings. I can see them getting in. Uh, the Warriors, again, without Steph Curry, until he comes back, I can't see them overtaking the Kings. I believe that when the Warriors are healthy, they're a better team than the Kings. And I would pick them to beat the Kings in either a one-game winner-take-all or a playoff series. I would also pick the Lakers to beat the Kings in a one-game scenario or a winner-take-all. Um, but I still think the Kings are going to finish fifth or no worse sixth, no worse than sixth. 
Okay, and, and and your top four, the Clippers, the reason why I think they're the most dangerous team in a seven-game series, if, if Kawhi does play, hopefully he plays, right, um, is because they do have two wing defenders. Uh, do you think that that there's a strong chance of them coming out of the West or, uh, or no? I would say no right. until I see some consistency from them. I mean, we're now almost to March, and I haven't seen any – level of consistency, but I've seen consistency from Denver this year. I've seen consistency from Memphis when they're healthy. I haven't seen any consistency from the Clippers. So you're telling me that they're going to have to turn it on like a light switch when the playoffs begin and put it all together. Are they able to do that? Uh, I'm skeptical. Yeah, I mean, uh, that, that's a very dangerous slope. But, but I am surprised that you still have Denver uh, above – the Suns. I'm. I'm really. They got it. They got it. They got a. They got a five game lead over the Suns. Why would they're not going to lose a five game lead? Y- yeah, but they got Kevin Durant now, Grant. I mean, they have one of. The There's best. only 25 games left. Uh, uh, Waggus, do the math. That the 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 Denver Nuggets, even if they go 500, are going to finish ahead of the Suns. They'd have to completely fall flat on their face not to have the top spot. I mean, it's there's not enough time left. You know, the game the the. The season's got 25 games left for most teams. Some teams have fewer than 25. Some teams have more. They're not going to lose a five-game lead. They're not. Okay. Okay. No, that's fair. But let me uh, rephrase the question. Let's just say if it does come down to Nuggets versus Suns in, in the Western Conference Finals, who who's coming out of that series? Well, you're asking me a question I can't answer because I don't okay. know how Kevin Durant's going to fit in with Phoenix. Okay. All, All right. right. I mean, All you're right. assuming again, correct me if I'm wrong here. I don't want yep. to put words I am in your assuming, mouth. Yep. You, I am assuming. Okay. Okay. Uh, so you, I'm not going to assume. I want to see it before I believe it. We assume that Dallas would be a lot better with Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic. Well, so far they're 0-3 playing together. So I, I'm not going to assume that it's just automatically going to work. It, they still have to get on the floor. They have to figure out what each other's roles are going to be and see if it's going to work. And it's going to be literally Waggus. It's going to be doing it on the fly. It's not like you have a lot of practice time in the uh, month of March and April. You don't have practice time. <clears throat> so, I mean, I, I I don't know why I would think that all of a sudden it's just going to click overnight. Okay. Yeah, no, I, 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 I guess I'm looking at it just on paper, right? On paper, it looks great, right? You got Kevin Durant, right? And you got B- Booker, but you are correct. A chemistry does play a major role, especially. To <laughs> I mean, you talk about Phoenix. You know, you talk about Phoenix, all right? There, uh, there, there's no way, there's just no way in the world they're going to catch Denver. I mean, I don't know if you've looked at the standings or not, no, but I they're haven't. nine games back in the loss column. I mean, it's not like they're 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 what eight or nine games behind Denver. I said five games. I'm actually was you know shortchanging Denver. They're they're nine games behind Denver. They're not catching Denver. No, they're, they're not going to be the number they're, one they're team. Ten games behind Denver. Now I'm looking at it. They're actually ten games. Ten. Okay. All right. I, yeah. I I guess what what I was trying to say was like you know when you said your top four teams, right? Um, I, I just kind of thought that you you still had Denver coming out of the West. I didn't mean by record, but just like you know, if they got in a playoff series. Well, I'll tell you this. So, I think yeah. Denver. The Clippers, well, I'll go in this order. This is the way I think okay. it's going to end up. This is how I think it's going to go. I think Denver's going to end up number one. I think Memphis is going to be two. I think Phoenix is going to be three. And I think the Clippers are going to be four. That's how I see it. I think it's Denver, 
Memphis, Phoenix, and Clippers, the top four seeds. Then, okay, okay, it's either going to be Dallas or Sacramento five, and the other one six. That's how I see it. Oh man, if we got to face the Clippers in the first round, we're done. <laughs> but well, you're either gonna you're either gonna face the Clippers or you're gonna face the Suns. <laughs> and you're not beating you're not beating either one if you're if you're if you're yeah. six. I'm sorry, you know. And then here's the other part: if you're five, you're still going to play Phoenix or the Clippers in the first round. So, if our math is correct, you're either going to end up playing Phoenix or the Clippers in the first round of the playoffs, which is fine. We're talking about the Kings making the playoffs, and now we're going to be pissed that they got to match up with a certain team. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine if I told you at the beginning of the yeah. season that the Kings were going to be in the playoffs in the first round against Phoenix and the Clippers? You'd be opening up champagne bottles. So let's keep this in perspective, okay? I know. <laughs> I know. No, no, you're absolutely right. Now we just have expectations. So so I'm looking at the – so I agree with you. The Lakers is probably even pretty hard for them to get to number seven. But do you at least have them in the playoffs, at least as a nine seed, ten seed? I mean, in the plan, I do think they'll. I do think they'll be uh, a ten seed or a nine seed. Yes, I do not think that all of a sudden they're just going to go uh, crazy. I don't think they're good enough. So right now, the Lakers are twenty-seven and thirty-two. All right, and they're three games back in the loss column of ten. That's significant. All right, that means yeah. you don't really have a lot of room for error. They have thirty-two losses. Oklahoma City currently has twenty-nine losses. The biggest detriment that I see for Oklahoma City. They have four games remaining with Phoenix. That's really going to be difficult for them. But the Lakers, again, 27 and 32. They are three games back. And by the way, only look at the loss column. Don't even look at the wins right now. Yeah, That's exactly. significant. And not only that, Utah and Portland are ahead of the Lakers too. It's not only a matter of getting into the top 10. They've got to finish ahead of Portland and Utah. Okay. And then I guess the last thing is how much do you think Westbrook, uh, I guess, you know, is going to have an impact on the Clippers, or do you think it's just going to be neutral? It's not gonna I think it's going to be it, it's going to be up to Russell Westbrook. You know, I, I think okay. he could help them in the right role, so I think it's up to him. Okay. All right. Um, Thanks, buddy. See, Good I call. Look, uh, look forward to tomorrow. Thank you, man. Yep. Be well. Take care. Bye-bye. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It's a good phone call right there. Why don't we get to uh, Ryan in Sacktown? Hey, Ryan. Hey, Grant. What's going on? What's up, buddy? So uh, really, really just wanted to reinforce how much I enjoyed yesterday. I think that's really great that people are reaching out to you about broadcasting and, you know, any little tips that they can get from you listening and your willingness to help people out. That's awesome. Um, And, you know, Waggis, great call. Uh, Waggis with a great memory. But there's two people on this show that come to mind when I think New York sports. And seeing as it's open form Wednesday today, there's something I've wanted I've wanted to do for a while. So can you do me a favor and bring Connor yep. on stage with us? Yep, as soon as he hits his hand. Okay, let's see. He is there. Okay, so uh we've got Connor on. Hey Connor, how you doing? Doing good, guys. How's it going? Good. What's up, Con man? All right, gentlemen, Open Forum Wednesday today is going to be New York trivia. It's going to consist of New York Giants and New York Yankees trivia. First one that knows the answer shouts it out. First one to three wins. You guys understand the rules? Okay. All right. Here we go. Which two wide receivers led the Giants in catches in 2011? Plexico Burris and Amani Toomer. Connor for the Wrong. steal. Mario Manningham and Hakeem Nix. Partially right. Victor Cruz and Hakeem Nix. So okay. we're, we're off to a lukewarm start. Okay. That was, a right. very, that was challenging. Go ahead. Who was the Giants coach in 1986? Bill Parcells. Bill Parcells. Napes with the win. We're going to give Connor half of though, for that one. All right. Another... Connor wasn't born yet. <laughs> That's why it's impressive. Okay. Another follow-up question to that. Bill Parcells also had a Giants Super Bowl winning coach on his staff in 2004. Bill in Tom Coughlin. Oh, what, I jumped the gun. What position coach did Tom Coughlin serve as? Tight end. Dapes. Um, I can't remember because he had several roles with the Giants. Uh, I will say, I don't. I, I will say running back, but I know that's not the answer. Connor was the closest. He was. It was a defensive coach. coach. Yeah, it was okay. Receivers. All right. I knew. I knew it was okay. Good. So we're tied one-one. We're tied one-one. All right. What year did George Steinbrenner purchase the Yankees? Nineteen seventy-four. Con man. Nineteen seventy-one. Oh, you guys are right in the middle. 1973. 1973. All right. Who did the Yankees beat in the 2000 World Series? Diamondbacks. They lost to the Diamondbacks in the World Series. Uh, In 2000, they beat uh, the Atlanta Braves. 
both wrong. They beat the Mets in five games. Uh, Mike Piazza's team, Roger Clemens. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. I'm going to toss you a softball here. Who is the first Yankee to have their jersey number retired? Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. Lou Gehrig. See, we are wrong there too, Connor. Terrible. All right, come on. Let's get some momentum going, guys. What college did Super Bowl winning quarterback Phil Simms attend? Moorhead State. Nate. Connor, your back's against the wall. We've got uh, two points to one. All right. Let's go back to a New York Yankees question. Let's see. Who is the all-time home run leader for the Yankees? Roger Maris. Conman? Go. This is easy, Connor. Think about the candy bar. Yeah, it's Babe Ruth. He's got. He's number one. He was the number one uh, home run man in baseball for a long time. Yeah. Who else? Go ahead, Connor. Um, no, go ahead, buddy. Candy bar, Connor. Candy bar. Nope. Yeah. Candy bar. Babe Ruth. All right. We are all tied at two. Let's pick a really. Really good one for the win. This one's going to be speed. Who can get it out the quickest? What number did Lawrence Taylor wear? 56. 56. Con man with the win. Three to two over Napes. Was that too hard, guys? Did I make it a well, little too hard? Well, 56. The Lawrence Taylor jersey is really not fair. I mean, that's, you know, that was the easiest question of them all. Okay, I got a special one for you, Napes. All right. I think that you would probably remember this one. Make it a little bit tougher. Who did the Yankees beat to win their first World Series in 1923? Oh, my God. Uh, I don't know the answer to that question, who they would beat. I will say... They beat St. Louis, but I don't know. Think about the other team we were answering questions about. Go ahead, Connor. New York Giants. Way way before you were born, my friend. New York Giants. New York Giants. There you go. Bingo, bingo, bingo. All right. I got got something for you. All right. All right. December, December 7th, 1941, my dad tells this story. My dad was at the polo grounds. On December 7th, 1941, at the New York Giants game. Who do you think the New York Giants were playing on December 7th, 1941? Take a guess. Con man? Well, it's obviously the day that Pearl Harbor happened, but... Yes. um, The Red Sox? Nope. Ryan? They were playing. Let's see. I am going to say the Mets. They were playing the Brooklyn Dodgers. 
Nobody uh-huh. would have ever. Yep. The, the New York Giants playing the Brooklyn Dodgers in football, December 7th, 1941 at the Polo Grounds. My dad was at that game. And then three years later, he'd be in the Pacific Theater on a naval ship off the coast of Okinawa. Unreal. 15 years old, 15 years old at the Polo Grounds. And because I said Brooklyn Dodgers, like I didn't even know the Brooklyn Dodgers had a football team. The Brooklyn Dodgers, look it up. December 7th, 1941 at the Polo Grounds. And uh, uh, I was just like, wow. And he, he, he talked about being at that game. And he was talking about, you know, you got to remember back then, no one knew about Pearl Harbor on the East Coast. Uh, you got to remember, it's a uh, time difference, all right, of five hours in the wintertime from Hawaii to New York. And communication back then obviously took a long time. And my dad said it really wasn't until towards the end of the game that word started getting out about what had happened and his recollection, you know, of being at that game. There are conflicting reports that at that game in the second half, the public addresser made an announcement, will all servicemen and women please report to your you know, whatever, you know, and but again, that is not there's there's a wide range of opinions on whether that actually happened or not. But my dad told me that there were rumblings as the second half was going on about what had happened over at Pearl Harbor. You got to remember that attack happened early in the what uh, at what eight in the morning on December 7th, 1941. So you think about the time difference that that happened right at kickoff of the Giants Dodgers game at the Polo Grounds. Wow. Hey, think about how much different Grant word spreads back then too. I mean, I that's got to be relatively quick for yes. That time. Well, and again, you got to remember the halftime would have been starting approximately at uh, 2:30 and that's when, you know, again, word started getting around uh, of of what had happened at Pearl Harbor. So think about that. Think about that time difference. I mean, so it did, it took a while, but you know, the, the history of the national football league, 1925, and there weren't a lot of teams back in the league then. And, you know, the reason why the New York, they were called the New York football giants. Well, they had baseball and football and same with the Brooklyn Dodgers. I, I didn't even know that until my father had talked to me about that, you know, as well, my earliest recollection of talking to him about December 7th, 1941. I didn't even know the Brooklyn Dodgers played football. That's crazy. So let me, let me ask you this, because I know your dad was instrumental in getting you into sports. You got to go, you guys had season tickets to a couple of different teams. Who did that for your dad? Did that start with his father or did he start that with you? No, no, it really, it's really started with me. Uh, My dad, grew up in Queens and would always go to games uh, and spend my, his, my grandfather was always working uh, and worked two jobs. And so my father would be going to the games with his buddies or by himself. And, you know, it would cost 25 cents to get into a football game back then or what have you. And he was at games all the time. And then obviously when I was born, we had season tickets for the giants before I was born and then shortly thereafter, he got season tickets to the Jets as well. 
So we had season tickets to both the Giants and the Jets. I literally, I'm not exaggerating, I was at an NFL game every single Sunday of my childhood. Every single Sunday. We were at either at Shea Stadium or Yankee Stadium watching the NFL. I don't ever recall, I shouldn't say ever, that wouldn't be accurate. I rarely recall being at home on a Sunday. Now, if both the Giants and the Jets were on the road, we would always be watching a Giants game because we were all Giants fans. And I remember that very well because we would always be throwing the football around in the backyard. My father, my brother and I, it was like part of our halftime ritual. At halftime, if we were watching a game, we'd go in the backyard and toss the football around. Very cool. So so to tie back then, I mean, theoretically, is that do you think you would have been doing what you do now had he not no. taken you to games and gotten you into sports? No, I don't think I would have. Nope, I don't. Flying airplanes then, probably. Yeah, probably would have been. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah, it's Very pretty amazing. I, I mean, I think growing up in a metropolitan area like that, even though I didn't grow up in the New York City, I was out in the suburbs, and you wouldn't know there was a city anywhere near where we grew up. What was the name of the town I grew up in, Ryan? Oh, don't do it to me, Grant. Don't do it to me. Uh, Come on, Ryan. Syosset. Come on. There Syosset. you go, Syosset. There you go. So growing up in Syosset, you wouldn't have known that New York City was anywhere near you. But the the the, the having the great announcers, and again, the best, you know, like for instance, you know, I wasn't a Met fan, right? But uh, Lindsey Nelson and Ralph Kiner were the announcers for the Mets growing up. And, you know, Lindsey Nelson was an iconic broadcaster. He always wore the crazy sport coats and always did the Cotton Bowl every year. And he was a legendary announcer back then. Marv did the Rangers and the Knicks. And you had Mel Allen and you had all the, the great announcers in New York. And so I was blessed to be able to listen to that. Marty Glickman did the Giants and all the transistor. When we used to go to Yankee Stadium, it was like you were listening to the game in stereo. If you had to get up and run down to the bathroom as you were running down the aisle, and you could watch the game at the same time. We were in the bleachers. All the transistor radios were on, and Marty Glickman's voice was like in stereo because so many people would bring their transistor radio to the game and listen to the game as they were watching it. And so it didn't matter whether you were on row 50 or row 2, and as you walked down, and we were in like row, I think, at, the, at, the, uh, at Yankee Stadium in the bleachers, we were in row 27. So to get down to the uh, the tunnel entrance to go onto the concourse and the bleachers to go get something to eat, go to the restroom, you just heard Marty Glickman's voice after the whole way. It was almost like it was almost like he was the loudspeaker coming over the PA system because everybody had their transistor radios. That's so cool. I, I nothing like that, but they used to. I don't know if they still do it. G one, but um, the G man would always be in the concourse or in the bathrooms, if you had to get up yep, at Arco yep. arena and you'd hear yep. that, but it wasn't people bringing their radios to the game. And speaking of the games, what was like the atmosphere, like going to a game back then in terms of fan demeanor tailgating versus what it's like going to a game now? We, we never, we never tailgated not once because um, the church that we went to uh, the community church of New York was uh, in Manhattan on uh, 34th street and park Avenue and my brother and I would be in Sunday school and my father would take us out of Sunday school early and we would literally walk three or four blocks to the subway station to get onto the subway to go to Yankee Stadium. And a couple of things I remember, 
my dad was six four, and I remember I had trouble keeping up with my dad. So while my dad was walking fast to get to the subway, I was like jogging behind because that's the only way I could keep up. And then I remember getting on the subway to go to Yankee Stadium. It, it was always packed, and I remember standing, you know, on the subway. And everyone had their Giants gear on. And then you'd get off at 161st Street and River Avenue in the Bronx. And you would, you know, I remember all the activity. I remember the noise of the subways and all of the traffic and all of the people going in. And we literally had a time where we would walk into the bleachers, go into our seats. And I kid you not, we were there maybe with one to two minutes to spare before Robert Merrill had the playing of the national anthem. Robert Merrill was a famous, famous, famous singer. And Robert Merrill's voice at Yankee Stadium, along with Bob Shepard, who was considered the voice of God, the PA announcer, that's what I remember as a kid. You had Robert Merrill and the national anthem. And I, here's what I do remember. Everyone used to sing the national anthem, all right? Mm -hmm. So I remember as a kid, the national anthem would come on and I'd look around and almost everyone was singing the anthem. And everyone was standing, everyone had their hat off, over there, you know, there was nobody talking. There was no, you know, people were paying attention and it was very patriotic. I remember that. I didn't even know what patriotic meant back then, but my point yeah. is I remember that. And then the, and then Bob Shepard with the starting lineups, you know, with the Giants running out of the tunnel as he introduced either the offense or the defense. I remember that as a kid. But the atmosphere was you saw the same people every single game year after year after year after year, because the waiting list for getting New York Giants tickets were thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. As a matter of fact, you had to have the tickets in your will or else you would lose them upon your death. So my dad had the tickets in his will uh, mm -hmm. to my brother. And so we used to see the same people. And I saw kids that were my age that I grew up with. And then when they went over to Giant Stadium in the, in the Meadowlands, they switched the section over there. And so when I started going to the games with my kids, the kids that I was at the games with at Yankee Stadium in the 60s were there with their kids. So, I mean, it's just wow. fascinating. That whole, it's pretty remarkable. But, That's you know, I remember, cool. I, I remember that. I remember the, the same people sitting around us for year after year after year after year after year. And, you know, you didn't even know their names. You would go, hey, how you doing? Hey, good <laughs> to see you again. Hey, how are you? You know, I mean, it wasn't like, hey, John, how are you? Hey. It was like, hey, how are you? People would go up and down. You know, my seat was on the aisle, okay? So, you know, I'd see the same people going up and down the aisle year after year after year. And, you know, they would know, you would nod your head, hey, how you doing? You know, like that. And so, uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. You know, the memories I had going to games every week was pretty amazing. Very, very cool. Connor, um, I don't want to forget about you. I had a question for you as well. So something that Grant and I have been talking a lot about is, and you've brought this up as well, the generation of Kings fans that have not been around for the playoffs yet. So up until this point, like what is your best memory of attending a Kings game, best experience at a Kings game, and what's your expectations for them should they make the playoffs? Well, I mean, sadly, I'd say my best memory is probably when we found out that the team was going to stay. I mean, obviously, I was still pretty young through that, but, I mean, that was obviously horrible. I mean, a part of the community, and that's when I really started getting into the Kings and stuff. I mean, just the thought of them 
moving away before I could even see any success from the team was kind of a nightmare. And then obviously, I mean, the memory of Grant and Jerry, like on the broadcast and stuff, and they played like the Tesla song at Arco and stuff. I mean, I'll never forget that. And then when the team stayed, I mean, obviously it was great. And now, I mean, years later, finally getting to see a little success. I mean, it's all coming full circle now. Definitely. Did you ever get a chance to go to any of the games at Arco when you got to experience somewhat of that Arco Thunder, whether it be like 2006 or so? Yeah, definitely. I mean, my dad would usually take me to like a game a year for my birthday and stuff. So I've probably been to Arco like six or seven times and stuff. But Golden One, I've probably only been to three or four. But I mean, Obviously, I, I think everyone agrees the Arco. I mean, the atmosphere there was incredible. I mean, it's better than Golden 1. But Golden 1, I mean, it's starting to bring it back to the feelings of, like, the glory days. And I'm really glad I can be a part of that. And people my age and stuff, I mean, we can finally – it's our time to be a fan and to see some success. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you didn't mean to take thank over you. the show but uh no it's good i needed a break you are the most I knowledgeable I needed a break. by far i loved it i needed a break so it's good i you helped me out you you know it was good that was enjoyable connor thanks for coming on buddy yeah it was awesome maybe ryan can bring back his open form wednesday game weekly now <laughs> yes i love that all right <laughs> i'll thanks, get guys. to the drawing board boys <laughs> thank you buddy thank you ryan right. appreciate that good segment yeah. right there uh, if you want to get on, you can raise your hand, uh, and we will do that. All right, why don't we get to uh, Rich? Hello, Rich. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good, Grant. You know, listen to Connor and stuff. It it makes me think of my my granddaughter, who's actually graduating with honors this year, actually, at Helix High School, where Bill Walton went to high school, of course, right? Yep. He graduated from Helix. And... I had heard when you had your radio program in Sacramento and Carmichael Dave was on his big, you know, across the country, you know, campaign yep. about keeping the, plane the games, to win, right? The plane to win tour. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. I, I was, my wife and I, before we moved to La Mesa here, we spent a year in Newport beach and I was on the air with you. And, and then I put my granddaughter on, who's now a senior in high school. And she's like, go Kings. And that's when you were talking yeah. about rolling your sleeves up to your, to your neck yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. And yeah. it was just, it brought, it kind of brought up that memory and, and uh, that's awesome. You know, it, it just doesn't seem like that was that long ago. But it was like 10 I know. years ago. And I know. And that amazing. That's incredible. Yeah, it is. So anyway, I just wanted to share that with you, man. And uh, well, I appreciate looking, that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to getting back on the season. And I had, po I had, I was listening to your, your show with uh, Jerry today. And when you were talking about, you know, uh, where we end up in the, in the playoffs yep. and uh, I had, I had made a little comment there. I said, well, I Grant, saw that if they, you, if they finish yeah, below yeah. fifth, you'll buy me dinner yeah. in San Diego. And I'm, <laughs> I saw that. Yes. 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 All yes, right. Yes. All right. So anyway, you saw Thank that you, Ron, brother. Okay. Uh, you, you got that right. Okay, brother. You take care. Take care. Yeah. All right. Bye. Good stuff right there. Fun show today. Really enjoyed it. Uh, Thank you so much for all of the feedback. Don't forget tomorrow, Ryan and I will be on at halftime and post game as well. All right. Let's get to Jerry in Sacramento. Hey, Jerry, how are you today? I'm fine, Mr. Napier. How are you, sir? I'm good. 
Grant, I can, you know, I told you before, I can listen to those stories all day long. You know, you got some awesome stories and you were very blessed as a child growing up. Yes, I was. Very lucky. Very, very lucky. Thank you. I was blessed. Uh, I didn't realize how lucky I was at the time. It wasn't until later in life that I realized how lucky I was that, you know, my father uh, took me to all of those events. So yes, and again, you didn't realize it at the time. Yeah, I really didn't. Uh, I just thought that was normal. Um, but yes, I was extremely, extremely fortunate. And you know, Grant, uh, I, uh, you know, after 16 years of just playing really bad basketball for the Kings, you know what, like, you know, yep. I, you know, I mentioned this to you before, Grant, that, you know, it's a shame that you're not doing your radio show. Uh, you're not calling the Kings games. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's just very sad. And uh, I, I, I just hope uh, that when everything comes to light, Grant, that, you know, you're going to get what you need to get, uh, what you should get. And uh, uh, I just wish you nothing but the best, bro. Thank you. I appreciate that. It means a lot to me, Jerry. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Again, don't forget, halftime and postgame, we're going to be with you a lot. We're going to be doing a lot of different things. So uh, I'm really excited for that. Also, the if you don't like that, T-shirts are uh, – on the horizon, like, I mean, on the freaking horizon. So you'll have a chance to order your T-shirts. I'm really happy that uh, that is going to be available to you. So it's going to be a lot of fun starting tomorrow, folks. It's going to be a lot of fun. Can't wait to have you join Ryan and I over on YouTube. Make it a really good rest of your Wednesday. I appreciate each and every one of you. So long now. Bye-bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting? Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.